Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is the Thrive Bites podcast, and welcome to season five. Here we talk about three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview the most passionate guests here, ranging from physicians to coaches to dietitians to entrepreneurs. And my hope is to give you really informative and high-valued conversations. So please Follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and wherever you hear your podcasts. Come on in, and I can't wait to see you inside. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of uh, Thrive Rights Podcasts. Uh, this is a very special episode. Um, I am joined um, by uh, my friends and colleagues, and uh, we are uh, talking about growing up Asian. And um, I've always wanted to have this uh, type of conversation and talk um, amongst my friends and peers. And, uh, and I've had it, you know, growing up uh, sporadically. And, um, you know, the reason um, why we're also um, on this topic is because it is in the month of May. And uh, from May 1st to May 31st, uh, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, um, AAPI. Heritage Month. And basically, it's a celebration uh, and recognizing uh, the historical and cultural uh, contributions of our individuals and groups within the AAPI um, uh, descent within the United States. And, uh, you know, according to the Pew uh, Research Center, we make up about 7% of the total U.S. population. And as of 2019, 22.9 million uh, people uh, within uh, Asian and uh, Pacific Islander descent live in the United States. And it is typically celebrated from May 1st to um, uh, May 31st. And and, uh, you know, it is also um, Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and so, you know, there's just not enough, uh, you know, talk about, uh, and this is what we do um, here at Thrive Bites is uh, continuing that conversation of enhancing emotional resilience. Um, specifically from an Asian perspective, um, a lot of us you know, it's very taboo to uh, share uh, different topics and talks about mental health, uh, whether we're anxious, depressed, um, you know, whether we're holding something in. A lot of times it's very suppressed and repressed, um, you know, over time. And that manifests to many, many uh, different things. Um, and so I share a lot of uh uh, we share a lot of uh, childhood um, anecdotes um, to what we, uh, you know, grew up um, in our household, the different uh, snacks and foods that we ate uh, to parenthood and, you know, what our parents, uh, you know, instilled in us, what we liked, what we didn't like um, to our current um uh, you know, times and era of uh, Asian hate um, and, uh, you know, Asian uh, uh, violence, uh, anti-Asian uh, hate and violence uh, within our country uh, currently. So we talk about all these different things. Um, so it's a great episode. Definitely tune in and I uh, can't wait to see you inside. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to share your precious moments with us today, and we are greatly, greatly appreciative. So 
for today. We have a wonderful, wonderful episode. Um, it is called Growing Up Asian, and uh, it's a very personal, poignant. We're going to have a lot of laughs. Um, I'm joined by my friends and colleagues, and uh, we are super, super excited um, for today's uh, episode. And this is for celebration of AAPI month um, in the month of May, or Asian American Pacific Islanders uh, month um, in celebration, as well as Mental Health uh, Awareness Month. And it is uh, great that they are actually coinciding with one another. And uh, we have lots to talk about. Out. So, without uh, further ado, um, please welcome <laughs> all my friends and colleagues. Hey, say hello. <laughs> um, so, one by one, we're just going to go uh, down. Uh, we're going to go kind of Brady Brunch style. And I want you to introduce yourself. Uh, tell us where you're calling from. Um, and just like one line uh, describing, uh, summarizing yourself. So, so uh, Connie, go ahead. Hi, I'm Connie. I'm uh, from New Jersey. I'm a practicing dentist in Freehold, New Jersey. And uh, I've known Colin since, I guess, since uh, we were in sixth grade. All right. All right. Uh, Jasmine, you go next. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Dr. Jasmine Sardana. I'm an internal medicine physician, primary care physician, and a lifestyle medicine physician. Um, I'm calling in from Maryland, and um, my family's background is South Asian um, and specifically South Indian. Um, we hail from the state of Kerala in India, and really excited to be here today. All right. Gina, you're next. Hey, everyone. My name is Gina Sue. I'm an actress and film producer. I started Pretty Magic Productions, which aims to have more women and people of color in front and behind the camera in film. And uh, I'm a fellow vegan, and that's how I met Colin. <laughs> I am an ABC, American-born Chinese, and I'm calling in from Los Angeles. Jason, my man, go ahead. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, my name is Jason. Um, I have nothing really accomplished. I'm just a <laughs> restaurant dude that I met uh, Colin at a restaurant. Um, met him a few years back. Um He's a lot nicer than he looks, so I realized, you know, being his friend was nice. So we became friends, and yeah, he kept in touch, and that's pretty much it. There's nothing really more about me. Um, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm probably moving to Arizona soon. Uh, I'm originally from Hawaii, though. And uh, you're also a Japanese descent, is that yes. correct? Yes. All right, excellent. So I think and until <laughs> <laughs> so you do like ancestry or 23 and me right yeah and then you're, you're introduced with this like what is this eight percent of uh ethiopian or whatever <laughs> yeah that could be anything i don't know but so far that's how yeah. i was raised <laughs> <laughs> uh connie you are uh you're you're a vietnamese descent right from, yes uh, sorry, i forgot to mention i am from vietnam all right all right awesome rashmi go ahead Hi, I'm so grateful to be here. This is such an amazing group of people. Thank you for putting this together, Colin. So my name is Rashmi Shram. I'm a family physician. I am also an integrative health coach. I'm a meditation teacher as well. I am the founder of Optimal Wellness. And this is where we help busy women to ditch guilt and tap into inner peace and power. So 
they can live more energetic and purposeful lives. I am actually originally from India as well, just like Jasmal, and in fact, from South India, from a city called Bangalore, and I was born there, and I lived there until I was almost 12. And so I'm actually calling in from Northeast Florida, which is where I practice now. Awesome. And my friend Rex, go ahead. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Dr. Rex Guido. I'm a sports medicine physician in Ithaca, New York. Uh, I know Colin from undergrad, and he actually helped me uh, a little bit on my journey to get into medical school. So I've always appreciated him for that. Um, I'm of Filipino descent, and uh, yeah, I'm very excited to be here with all of you. All right. Uh, awesome. And uh, for those that, you know, are new to the space, um, I'm a uh, first generation uh, Chinese American uh, immigrant child, uh, born and raised in New Jersey and currently in Southern California. So, um, so I would like to open up the floor. Um, this episode um, is really about celebrating uh, the diaspora of uh, our Asian heritage. And I wanted to do something special, um, something personal, something unique. Um, obviously, we are celebrating um, AAPI. Um, and we are, you know, just wanting to ask uh, those uh, questions of uh, what was it like growing up? Um, what was it like growing up in our household? You know, what was your family like, our parents? Um, some of us um, might have grown with um, other uh, Asian friends as well. Um, some of us haven't. And personally, for me, I've always uh, had this in a way, identity crisis in terms of, you know, which way do I go? You know, and, you know, in when I went back to China, I felt like I was too American, you know, too quote unquote white. And if I was, you know, living here in the United States, I just felt, you know, too, too much of an outsider, too foreign. So I've always had these questions, you know, for myself. And, um, and I just felt that, you know, maybe someone else, um, you know, are feeling the, the same way. And I think there's a lot of power in terms of not just storytelling, but also shared experiences and having those um, experiences being shared across the table. Um, so we could relate to one another um, better. So uh, this is the premise of the episode. So my first question, um, and uh, uh, I would like to pose to the group is, what was your favorite TV show um, or snack or meal growing up in an Asian household? And uh, just raise your hand uh, for those that want to go first. Hey, right, I'll go. So I remember in uh, the summers when we would, uh, I would hang out with my cousins, we'd eat literally like ramen, this bag of ramen that was, we would eat it dry. We wouldn't even cook it because it, it was like, it had like chili and, it was almost like, but we were eating it like it was like a bag of potato chips, but we would devour this bag. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh man, I, I remember I used to eat this and I read the nutrition label and it was like something astronomical, like 1800 milligrams of sodium, like something that you shouldn't even exceed on a daily basis. And we were just like chewing it down. Do you remember um, the name of the ramen? It was, it's, I think it started with an M. It was like M-O-M-A or something. Mm -hmm. I don't recall, but if I saw the bag, it was like a aluminum foil looking bag. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was our potato, potato chips, right? 
Yeah. Um, I just came across um, a post uh, by a fellow colleague. And um, I don't know for those of you that grew up, you know, loving a cup of noodles or um, I forget what was the other company that produces ramen, instant ramen noodles, uh, Maruchan or something like that. I've always had an issue with their various flavors, but one in particular one I had a problem was oriental flavor, right? And I said to myself, is there a brother in there? Like, I, what is, like, are there rugs in there? I had, I, I was like, what is this? <laughs> the, does uh, anyone else have, like, uh, something, uh, you know, quirky like that in, uh, within their uh, snacks and meals growing up within their uh, cultures? So I can go. I can share um, something interesting. Um, so being South Indian, being Indian, uh, period, chai is such a huge part of our culture. I think uh, what's really special also about chai and I think um, speaks to the diversity within India um, is that chai is prepared in all these different ways, depending on wherever you go. There's, you know, a unique blend of spices that go into chai from North India versus, you know, some of the states of North India versus maybe South India, where I'm from. And so it's really kind of uh, representative of really the uniqueness and the diversity within um, India itself. So chai was something that was a staple in our home every, you know, multiple times a week, if not every single day. And not that I drank chai as a child, but I saw all of my uh, elders drinking chai for, uh, you know, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, after dinner, um, for a snack, you know, when, when, when we had guests come over, chai was almost, it was almost ritualistic, right? When someone comes into your home, the first thing that you offer them and ask them is, you know, would you like some chai? And so that was something that was ingrained in me. And it's now that I have three young kids, um, we make it in our home and, I've introduced it to my kids and it's been one of those special and I've introduced the unique blend of the spices that my mom makes and that I've kind of tweaked around a little bit. And although I'm not giving my kids like cups of chai, I let them enjoy it with um, something called rusk, which is this uh, type of um, it's type of an Indian biscotti, I think might be the best way <laughs> to describe it that we eat with the chai. And my kids love it. And it's really just been such a special thing to see um, as a mom now here at this end. Um, that something that I didn't really think about that much um, was so powerful and was so um, representative of the things that I really enjoy and of my culture. And I'm able to pass that on to my kids. So chai is one, um, something that's been a really significant, important, but you know, it was just one of those like little things that you don't notice, but you don't realize until you're older and you're the mom, how big of an impact that small, you know, meal or that small drink um, has. Right, right, right. Um, I recall from, I went to a wedding. Um, uh, Connie and I have a mutual friend growing up um, and uh, he had a wedding in uh, Jaipur in Rajasthan. And uh, I remember the the tradition of going to every household and being served chai. Um, I've always been peculiar uh, or just curious on, you know, how is it traditionally served? And then and then how much <laughs> like a lot of trends um, in America, how <laughs> we've messed it up. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, we could talk for a long time. First of all, 
It's not chai tea. <laughs> Let's just start there. It's just chai. Tea is really just, um, it's just a repetitive chai means tea. So you don't really need to say chai tea. It's just chai. That's what it is. Um, and uh, so that's number one. There, and when I say traditional, as I mentioned before, every single state, every single household really has their own unique blend of the spices. But um, I can run down the common spices that are usually in a masala chai. And I should start off by saying chai is just black tea with um, cream or milk added to it. Uh, we're a plant-based family, so we use oat milk. And it took a little bit of convincing my parents that <laughs> it's still as good as the original with dairy milk, um, but it's great. But the usual masalas that we use or spices that we use are um, cardamom, cloves, ginger, um, and, and specifically dried ginger. My mom um, particularly likes dried gin ginger, which is a little bit more potent. Um, but you can add um, all sorts of other spices. I've seen cinnamon. I, cinnamon's in there a lot. Turmeric. Right? I've seen cinnamon. Yes. Um, I've seen black pepper in um in chai as well and i'm sure rashmi could probably add to that and there's probably a you know a different you know blend that maybe she's uh more familiar with but yeah free chai is such a big deal but i one one thing that i wanted to talk about when you said how do, how do we do it in the u.s is the quantity oh my goodness <laughs> you know right in india it's like oh, you know, maybe maybe an ounce and a half maybe two ounces because it's more of a ritual and a ceremony like jasmine was saying but like here it's like this 22 ounce behemoth and we've really just like taken it way overboard <laughs> well like that's america for you right, right. <laughs> uh gina jason or rex uh, any uh favorite snacks uh that you know stuck out in your mind growing up so I, my mom uh, would bake uh, purple yams or purple potato or Okinawan sweet potato and let me bring it to school. And all my friends would be like, what are you eating? Why is it purple? <laughs> and I, I know now that it's so nutritious and good for you. But back then it was like, I realized most of American food is just like brown or beige, like bread pasta mashed potatoes and then me bringing in something purple was like why is it so colorful um but it was so tasty and I was like so grateful to be fed good food when I was younger even though my friends probably thought it was really weird and strange um but maybe Jason might have a different opinion because uh that's they eat a lot of that in Hawaii which is a place I love <laughs> <laughs> Jason um the funny story with that was when I was a little kid um, even though I, I was, you know, raised in Hawaii and a lot of kids are in, are a half Asian or just a bunch of Asian people, period. Um, when I used to take lunch to school, my mom would make me these musubis, which is rice balls. And because it's Hawaii, she would make me some spam musubis or a lot of times she would make, uh, this salmon musubi, which would be dried salmon and just be mixed up with rice and make made into a rice ball, seasoned and then wrapped with uh, seaweed, nori. And I would bring it to school and everybody would be like, well, I got Lunchables. Well, I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm like, well, I got this. They're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, it's, it's a musubi. And so I would be eating it. I'm like, man, I want to, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or I want a ham and cheese sandwich. So every once in a while, I would ask my parents or my mom to make me one of those. 
And then later on, I grow up and I'm like, man, I was spoiled because those peanut butter, butter jelly sandwiches and ham and cheese, they're nothing compared to these musubis or whatever my mom used to make me. And she would make me from scratch once in a while, like a full plate with rice, some kind of salmon protein or, you know, in a pickled vegetable. And I would, at that time, I would prefer something that everybody else had. But it's mm. now I'm like, that's all I want to eat. I don't want to eat a peanut butter, butter jelly sandwich, you know? Mm. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a different way of growing up and seeing food because, yeah. And, and back to the the whole when you were talking about chai and all those uh, uh, seasonings, I don't think I even knew what cloves, turmeric, or any of those seasonings were until I grew up well later in life, because it, my parents cooked a lot of just Japanese traditional Japanese food, and none of those spices were used. I had none of that in our cabinets. It was just salt, pepper, soy sauce. And maybe a couple of random things. I, I, it's surprising, but I didn't even know what paprika was in, until I was like twenty. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, 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 I love how like you know we can you know come together and just you know that's the beauty of it. You know to be able to you know share, uh, share these things. Um, uh, so the next question I would love to ask is. You know, we all live, you know, the one thing we have in common, uh, in addition to many other things, is that we all live in the United States of America. And I want to ask the question to, um, you know, the the floor is, what can you share one story um, that you experience, one moment, one experience growing up where you felt that, hmm, you know, you were different, you know, you were made to kind of feel a little bit, you know, different, whether it's, you know, quote unquote, you know, foreign, um, you know, an outsider, uh, but just made to feel a little bit ostracized um, a little bit or made or, or share a story of saying like, oh, you know, I am American, but, you know, um, you know, I'm also Asian, you know, at the, at the same time. Um, would anyone like to share a story? Rex, go ahead. It's interesting because this will actually fall into the whole uh, food story. But when I was in middle school, my mom would let me, you know, would pack my lunch, similar to everybody else, but there would be a lot of rice in it. So it would be like rice with some meat. And uh, just like Jason would say, like everybody would else, everybody else would have Lunchables or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And there came a point where in you know, everybody would question why I was bringing rice every day to school. And, you know, when you're, when you're new and, and you look different than that, and you're essentially the 1% Asian population of your school, actually 2%, me and my sister, um, you really want, you, there's such a pressure to want to fit in. So there was one time where I actually didn't eat my lunch. I hit it and I ended up throwing it away at home and my mom found out and she was just like, why did you, you know, why are you wasting food? Why did you throw this away? And she's, and I essentially said, it's because, you know, I don't want to bring lunch and I don't want to bring rice to school because nobody else brings rice to school. And uh, I, in, in a sense, I was embarrassed to, you know, uh, bring my traditional foods and I wanted to fit, fit in with everybody else. So that was, a, that was a, sort of 
uh, memorable experience for me because I realized that, you know, <laughs> I realized that uh, I wanted so much to fit in that I was essentially throwing away a big part of who I was culturally. Um, it wasn't until, admittedly, I, I was sort of uh, misled my mother into thinking I was finishing my food, but there was a guy on the bus and he'd be like, dude, I'll eat that. It was that egg foo young. And I'm like, dude, you want to finish my food? I'll give it to you. I'll save it every day. <laughs> and he would finish my lunch for me. Uh, God bless you, Damien, wherever you are. Um, but then it, it, it wasn't until I saw that he actually appreciated the food of my culture that I was like, why am I, why am I trying so hard to, to fit in? If people really like me, they should like me for who I am. So now, you know, that, that essentially was a turning point for me later on where I just started to accept my culture as, as what it was. Thanks, Rex. I, I appreciate. It. I didn't even. I, I didn't even know about that story. So, um, and it does. It does come to a point where I, I don't know if everyone else uh, feels similarly, but you know, um, I've I've had you know similar times where um, I didn't. I didn't want to. You know, kind of, I in order to fit in, I had to, in a way try to look like everyone else, you know, kind of like high school is a really good example where, you know, you see all these popular kids and what they're wearing or how they carry themselves. And, you know, you just want to fit in and, um, you know, irregardless of the cultural background, it's more of a, you know, individual, uh, sense as well. And, um, you know, and, and it's, uh, I remember those feelings. Um, so I can definitely, you know, relate to what you're saying, um, in terms of, uh, at times you have to discard a part of yourself, you know, for you, it's, uh, you know, food, um, representative of your, of your culture. And, um, and that could be hard and reflecting back, uh, you know, you know, if we could take like a, a DeLorean back, you know, uh, and, and say like, you know, just stand up and be proud, you know, um, and, uh, be appreciative of, you know, the different facets of who we are. So, so thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. I just, I just need to chime in Rex. Cause I thought that was so incredibly powerful. What you said um, that you didn't necessarily appreciate um, the, like how good the food was and your culture as a result until someone else outside of your culture ate that food and was like, wait, this is actually bomb. This tastes so good. And you're like, wait a minute, maybe it is really good. And um, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I've, I've had that experience maybe multiple times where I didn't really I was trying to distance myself from certain things, right? Certain clothing or wearing a bindi or, you know, other things that um, could really mark you as different and wanting to distance myself. And then as I got older and I started noticing other, you know, groups, the majority uh, kind of appropriating some of those things, then I was like, oh, wait, no, (laughs) that's mine. Right. So that was, that was really great. Thank you for sharing that. Going to uh, going off of appropriating, uh, what is one thing, item, clothing trend um, currently right now um, that other groups are appropriating that you know you have an issue with, um, <laughs> Rashmi? Um, I'm going to answer this question, but I did have another story too. I'll tell you guys later on. But it, the story actually was just that I I, I immigrated at, at the age of 12, so I wasn't born here. I was very very Indian when I came to the U.S. and I um, and 
the only thing I knew about the United States was from a Sears catalog. I literally thought the United States was a Sears catalog because I had an auntie who lived in the U.S. who would bring us a Sears catalog and I would study it because I was like, oh, I'm, we're going to move there. I got to read the whole thing. And it, obviously the U.S. is nothing like that. And we landed in a, a very small coal mining town uh, that was run by the KKK and it still is in southwestern Virginia. And uh, it was a it was a very, very interesting experience, to say the least. Most people actually, when I was, you know, on the bus, I was in sixth grade, I was getting on the bus to finish out the school year. Um, and because I didn't even understand the the lingo, the linguistics, I was placed in some remedial classes for um, for sixth grade. Um, but, you know, the kids there would be like, you're from Indiana. That's real far. <laughs> And so that was that was a a real quick learning experience. But let me skip to the appropriation part. I think uh, I mean, I love that you brought that you brought this up, Jasmine, because I think the line between appreciation and appropriation is actually quite thick. It's not a thin line. And I think we see a lot of this, a lot of our culture being appropriated. To me, it's yoga. It's meditation. You know, they have really um, hijacked what yoga is. Yoga is not just asanas. It is not, um, you know, an exercise. It is not uh, a let's wear the tightest clothing we can and pose over a waterfall for IG. Um, Yoga is a way of living. Yoga is meditation. Yoga is union of mind, body, spirit with the environment. And to really appropriate that, or to use the the symbol for Om without understanding the cultural significance. I mean, we see this over and over and over again. And in fact, I actually got an IG message not long ago that was from a yoga teacher somewhere who was like kind of telling me to stay in my lane as a physician, which was hilarious. Um, you know, <laughs> Meaning, because I was talking, I'm a, I'm a certified meditation teacher. I I practice yoga. I have my whole life, and so um, and so you know, I very kindly had some words exchanged, and because you know, I have a lot of feelings about that. But it wasn't a disrespectful conversation. I didn't feel like, and and I think some people really don't understand when they are appropriating. Like I'll see like a Ganesh. Um, on, uh, in a place where it shouldn't be. I see a, an, an ohm sign where it shouldn't be, but really it's it's the whole, it's the yoga, it's the meditation bit that I think is definitely being appropriated. What do you think, Jessel? Yeah, no, I would 100% um, agree with you there. I think, um, you know, shy, <laughs> just kind of that piece of it, you know, um, there, there's so many things that are part of our culture that have kind of been woven into the American fabric that it's no longer, um, celebrated and honored, um, or the origin of where those things came from is no longer honored. It's forgotten, you know, and almost, um, purposely. And that's where I take issue, right? If you, there is definitely a thick line. I like, I love how you said that. There's definitely a thick line between appreciation and appropriation. Um, And um, yoga absolutely comes to mind as one of those things. Food in general, you know, when it comes to Indian foods, uh, that's something that I see too, where, you know, of course, I want to share my culture. Of course, I want to share my traditions. Um, But when I see you know, blog posters or even restaurants, you know, offer or 
um, serve meals that are Indian and, you know, in the description have no understanding of, of kind of what the spices are uh, or using the term curry powder. Uh, you know, that's one of my pet peeves is, oh, there's a lot of curry powder in this. There's no such thing as curry powder in India. We don't use curry powder. No offense or no, you know, disrespect to curry powder. I, you know, think that's great. But I think if you don't really understand the culture um, and, and appreciate the culture, then it's difficult to appreciate the foods that you're serving. Uh, it's difficult for you to have a full appreciation of that food. Yeah. Um, so I have a, so this is a very good question um, that I want to open up to the floor is that how, you know, this is a great topic. And I had this conversation with my sister. Um, how do people that are not in that ethnic group be able to share, show respect and appreciate said, you know, thing? It could be yoga. It could be an article of clothing. It could be um, a cultural historical piece. How, how does someone uh, appreciate and respect that and in a way, you know, not appropriate and being able to kind of give back, you know, to that culture. It might be kind of a twofold uh, question, but what would you say would be the best way to, you know, do this, Rashri? Uh, you know, one way I think is just to actually learn about the culture, right? Most people who are um, going through 200 yoga hour teachers. I mean, I think it's great that they have that initiative and that interest, but a lot of the programs just don't cover the, you know, eight limbs of yoga. And so taking it upon themselves to have the understanding of this is mind, body, spirit. This isn't just the poses. I think just understanding the culture is important there. And I think understanding that if there is like a Ganesh or an Om symbol to, to, um, to at least have some level of respect for that. Um, this isn't someone's religion. This isn't someone's culture. And I understand that Ganesh is the remover of, of obstacles. Um, and so in here, let me see how it's used in that culture so that I don't misuse it so that I don't, you know, run it over to the beach and put it on the beach and take a photo of it for my IG live or whatever it is. Right. So I think just studying it and respecting it goes a long way. It's a great topic and we can spend forever. Jason. So I have uh, this different perspective on all this. Um, first off, I grew up with my dad always telling me, look, it's normal to them. It's normal to them to do this or say this. And I grew up looking at different perspectives, whether it was a, a different race, culture, whatever it was. So I don't know if this is going to offend anybody, but I grew up just, I don't know what my experience of this and how I turned this way, but I grew up laughing at things and making jokes of things. And, and for me, whether it's, whether it's race, food or whatnot, I don't think, I think everybody gives it their own respect the way they do. It's just not everybody would respect it the way they do it. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, um, <clears throat> for example, um, if, if somebody would tell me, hey, um, uh, uh, if it comes with Indian food, you know, the curry powder thing, and, and somebody would say that and they would say uh, how they're cooking traditional Indian food. And I use this curry powder and an Indian person would be like, hey, that's not traditional. We don't use curry powder. 
you know, and but it's not disrespectful because that's what they know and that's how they respect it. So for me, I don't I don't think there's any perfect way to somehow respect a certain culture or a certain kind of food or whatever it is by doing research or whatever. It's how you present and how you personally feel about it. People that do get offended by how other people present it, it has a lot of insecurities on them and their past, I think. So, for example, if somebody were to say anything about Japanese cultures, Japanese food, and they're like, yeah, this is, you know, this is Japanese food and this and this. I learned not to be disrespected by that because that's just how they represent it. And they're not purposefully disrespecting it. That's just all they know. And, you know, ignorance is a bliss, too. And on top of that, it's it's just there's nothing you can do. Not, not everybody's 100 percent educated with everything and anything in the world. So I started to accept things on how it's presented. Um, so it, this goes with even racist jokes or whatnot. It, people are, it, it's, it just has to do with the intention of it. You know, it, it, it's, if there's anything that has to do with disrespecting, then I think it's disrespectful, of course. But if they're just not intentionally doing it on purpose, I think it's perfectly fine. It's just, you you can just be, the the better person just be like hey just to let you know traditionally you know you're not supposed to do it like this but I, I for me it's just this something that it's not I don't think should be taken so serious no I like that perspective and I don't know that why I would have come across as having taken it seriously right and so if I had taken all of the appropriation seriously I wouldn't even be having this conversation if I was offended every time someone, uh, blew up one of my gods on their IG live or their IG feed, I wouldn't even be on Instagram, right? And so it isn't really about uh, taking offense. I would not say that I'm taking offense because that does sound like someone who doesn't quite have um, their grounding, right? And so I'm absolutely grounded. I understand boundaries. But if there's something sacred in someone's culture and it is being taken and used out of context, that is appropriation and that does need to be corrected. And that is different than taking offense to certain jokes and whatnot, right? Because listen, I grew up in a town, I literally went to middle school and high school in a town that is still run by the Ku Klux Klan. And so if I had been taking offense, I wouldn't even have gone to college. I wouldn't have gone to medical school. I wouldn't have, had, you know, I wouldn't have done any of those things. Right. And so, yeah, of course, there's a sense of resilience that comes from that. But also the question is, what are we taking out of certain cultures that are sacred to those cultures and making it into a joke? And that is appropriation. Um. Let's move on to the next question. It's a very, very good topic, um, but I want to be able to fit in um, all the uh, all the good stuff that we have. So uh, I'm sure this is everyone's favorite. Going back to childhood and uh, you know child rearing, parenthood. <laughs> Name one behavior slash trait slash habit that your parent or parents um, or uh, guardians um, try to instill in you uh, that you found beneficial and or that you did not found, uh, find beneficial uh, to you, why or why not? <laughs> Rex raised his hand really quick. Rex, go ahead. I think this is universal, but before, you know, once you step into an Asian household, you better take your shoes off. So, you know, people, you know, and, and oftentimes in, in my parents' house, they will have 
a pair of flip-flops ready for you to sort of exchange, you know. Um, and I never understood what it was. I, I, I always thought it was just a form of cleanliness, you know, on my mother's part. But I, you know, looking into it, I realized that, you know, in, in certain cultures, like in, in, in our culture, you don't want to bring in, you know, evil spirits. You don't want to bring in, you know, negativity with you when you go into someone else's house. So um, it's definitely something that I continue even in going to other people's houses, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, when they, you know, when they tell me and I sort of explain that habit to them, it gives me an opportunity to sort of share the significance of why I'm doing that. And, and a lot of them, I mean, I think, you know, uh, accept that and they, and, and they take it on themselves to also do that, uh, sort of act when they come over. So that's definitely one of the, probably one of the biggest things that, uh, um, that I, you know, that my parents sort of, uh, instilled in me growing up aside from, you know, other things, but that would, that one to me feels the most memorable because I continue to do it even now. And then other people do it too. I think, uh, I think the fun part of that going off of that, um, you know, being, uh, being East Asian is, uh, you know, when you're dating someone that's not from your, you know, background and, you know, doing that same exact thing, um, asking them to do the exact, the exact same thing. Um, and they're not used to it. It's that, you know, funny slash awkward exchange of, well, this is kind of how, you know, we do it. This is kind of kind of how like our family does it and you just do this dance of trying to figure out they're just trying to figure out, okay, um uh, I guess I'll do it, you know, because I'm going to someone's household but not really understanding at the same time. Um and they just explain to 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 me later like, you know, uh just explain to them like, hey, you know, like <laughs> my parents would just be upset. Um so um but yeah, I would love to hear what other people grew up with. Gina Mine might not be your very typical Asian upbringing, but my parents very much supported being creative and being in the arts. Um, so I took uh, art classes growing up, dance classes. I took a lot of sports classes as well, volleyball, tennis. They, they did try to get me to do some piano, which was probably my least favorite. Um, and I really, I really appreciate that because when I got older, I realized one of the main reasons why they wanted to come to America is they love the collective group spirit, community spirit of Asia, but they were in awe and inspired by the individualist and creative and out of the box spirit of the US. And both my parents are entrepreneurs and business owners. So I, I really appreciated that that has led me to pursue a career in acting, which I think has a far bigger impact on other people and how we represent our people and our culture than I ever thought before. I'm like, this is just a fun thing that I would love to do. So I'm, I'm so glad that they were, they were open and able to take something from a different culture and um, raise their kid and in this world where I, as an Asian American get to be creative and, work in a creative field as my job that pays. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very, um, I'm not sure <laughs> for me, it was totally the opposite. Um, 
to man, my father, my father didn't care <laughs> whether I did anything creatively or not. You know, my father was like, you know, you gotta, you gotta study for that grade point average to get into a named a school that we all recognize and have heard of. So you can get, you know, you know, said job, you know, that, <laughs> that was pretty much, you know, uh, you know, I'm groomed for me, thankfully for my mother. Um, you know, she came from Hong Kong, um, a, uh, territory, you know, uh, own, you know, uh, that was you know, taken over by the British for 150 years. Um, uh, so she was a little bit more, uh, liberal in, in, in that sense. So she allowed me to, uh, just, uh, you know, participate as many things as possible, um, and whatever I was, you know, happy with. So, um, and I, and I did a little bit of improv acting, you know, so yeah. you know, hopefully I'll make a genius proud <laughs> maybe that's why my mom is also from hong kong oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. See, there you go there you go <laughs> anyone else um so i guess my childhood i would describe or the way my parents raised me i don't want to use the word oppressive <laughs> but uh i probably had like two of colin's dad um and so like uh, the, the question is you know how did it benefit me how did how was it not beneficial it's 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 their philosophy was um you put your head down you work and you work until you're productive and you you get good grades and you get into you know a professional school and you have a you get a professional job and how it benefited that how it benefited me was that yes you know i i developed a very strong work ethic um you know even still today, I, I always feel like I have to be productive. Now, when I say it's a double-edged sword, it's it's like you get to a point where uh, I'm, I'm experiencing this later on in life is that you're kind of like um, you don't know how to relax, right? And you feel like you're compelled to be productive all the time. Um, and that there's this sense of like if you're not working and if you're not producing, then you're not worth anything or you're not valuable. And that can be very detrimental. And I'm probably sh- sure this is going to lead into your next question about mental health among Asian Americans. Um, and uh, Gina, it, it sounds like you had a very wholesome upbringing. <laughs> I mean, I would love to have my parents had embraced like, you know, my creative side for sure. Uh, I, I do remember telling my parents, because I think when I was young, I was very into um, uh, fine arts and also performance arts. And their response was, you know, oh, Sounds like it's going to be a good hobby for you in the future, right? And um, and this is this is coming to light uh, more recently because you know I have two kids now, age five and three, and so there's a lot of discussion about like you know how do we want to you know me and my husband how do we want to raise our kids you know like how do we balance like yes have them have that strong work ethic that ambition that grit but also balance it with like you know what what makes you what excites you what uh, what gives you a, that creative outlet right. And um, so that's that's my that's been my perspective. Go ahead, Rex. You know, real quick, I think uh, I think it's interesting to hear that we all we all sort of have like that similar um, background story. Uh, in I don't want to say in defense of them, I guess. I mean, just like with what Jason was saying, like that's what they know. That's what they have seen, you know, in their native countries where it's like, okay, these are the types of successful people, that, you know, are able to put food on the table and able to, you know, put a roof over their parent, over their family's heads, you know. And um, I mean, I did acting when I was in high school and I loved it. 
And uh, when I got the drama award, I, I'll tell you, my parents were not excited. They were <laughs> very upset because somebody else got like, you know, three or four academic awards. And, you know, it was definitely something that I had to, you know, I had to sort of put away and put aside as a realistic goal for me. Um, but I will say that in my profession now, there are, um, there are facets of acting or of just communication with patients that like, that I take in um, and some, and in in that way sort of provides me an outlet, but I can sort of, but I, I guess I understand why the push was there for all of us, you know, especially coming from a different country, you know, there is, there's this, you know, standard that we have to sort of uh, meet with regards to, you know, uh, do they deserve to be here? And if we don't sort of show that either intellectually, creatively, um, or through whatever skills that we bring to the table, it's easy for uh, those, you know, so for those who are not Asian to continue to look down on us, you know. So I, I, I definitely understand you know, where they came from. Could I have been an actor? Probably. Maybe. Um, that's why I'm. Do- that's why I'm doing Thrive Bites right now. <laughs> this is my big break. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, no, I, no I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think uh, similarly. I'm sure you know. Um, you guys have uh, similarities. Is you know they came through. Um, you know, crossing crossing the land, the seas, high waters, mountains, whatever have you, um, to provide, you know, a a better life and their version of a better life is what you just said, uh, Rex, it's, you know, food on the table, roof over our heads. Um, and in a way, and, uh, this was interesting because I've, you know, had to watch other, uh, you know, uh, Asian role models, um, you know, interviews and things like that. Um, in a way it's almost like the stuff that they, put on us that they instilled um, to their children is almost like this is a life that I would have pursued, right? This is the life that I would have gone through, you know, if I was your age. So vicariously or indirectly, I want you to do this. So instead of saying like, this is what I would have pursued, they, they in a way are like, this is what you need to do. Right. Without saying like, you know, uh, there's a separation of lives and individuality. Right. Um, Because a lot of um, outside of America, there's a lot of, um, you know, more um, what's the best word, Um, homogeneous in terms of the culture, you know, like more of a unified uh, voice as opposed to, you know, our 50 states (laughs) and us being so, you know, um, uh, individualistic. So. Um, does anyone else have, uh, something, uh, something to share that wasn't, uh, was beneficial or not beneficial, Jason? It, I think it was a generation thing on how parents raised everybody and how technology and how the world works and how everything ad- advanced. And I think our generation, like it was more of a, it was starting to become westernized and our parents were still in their own worlds. But the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I feel like the worth ethic, work ethics and the mentality and mindset has completely changed. And so when it comes down to, because I work in a restaurant and 
the is I just see the difference in the work ethic that I see in younger kids now. And I, I don't want to say it's lazy. It's just a different mindset. You know, everything is more uh, working different. And I, I'm not going to, I don't want to go in details because there's, there. you know, I, I'm probably just looking at this from my perspective in the restaurant. But it's just, I think it just has to do with generations. And I believe, and it feels like for us, our generation, we're going to be more lenient to our kids because we were a little bit more strict. Which I can't really say because I, I grew up as a really spoiled. <laughs> I'm just speaking on behalf of a lot of stories that I know and I've I've heard of. So um, I, I don't know. It's just the world turns, and we'll see what happens in the next generation. Thank you, Jason. All right. Well, nice meeting you guys. I gotta go. Uh, who raised their hand before? You can just. I, uh... I think um, so. In my house, at least, there was just an implicitness to. Um, hey, you probably need to have some safety around where your money is coming in. And it's nice if you can help people while you have that safety. And so medical school in so many ways, even though no one ever actually said you should be this or that to me, or even said you should work harder or more or anything like that. It's just, I watched my parents work like crazy. They worked like, um, you know, minimum wage jobs. And they, you know, my, my father was like a, basically he was a professor at a university before he ended up working these minimum wage jobs. And so just to watch that without really there being an explicit, like there's gotta be a better way. I mean, they did great afterwards. There was a, you know, whatever, a decade of struggle, I would say, but it was an implicitness that I think my brother and I got as to, hey, they sacrificed a lot because they really believed that we could have a better life than what we would have had if, if they stayed in India. And so I, you know, to me, I didn't really get a lot. I didn't get any pressure. Um, and neither, I, I don't think my brother felt any of that pressure either, but we did um, I think put a lot of pressure on ourselves and I see my kids doing that. I have teenagers, they're 15 and 17. In fact, what I really have to focus on in the last few years for them is to slow down, is to bring balance, is to really be rather than do. I don't know how many times I have to say to them, you're a human being, you're not a human doing. And so it's like, it is just the culture as well. Um, just a, literally not just Asian. I mean, it's like the culture right now is they got to get into this college. They got to do this. Then, then they got to, you know, and so, um, I think, I think there's so much variance to this and I, and I love the heterogeneity in this group. Gina. I just wanted to mention something for all of the artists or younger artists who might eventually listen to this podcast, especially if you're Asian American, that a lot of my journey did include a lot of fighting for things that were creative. Um, my parents definitely wanted me to go to a good school, get good grades. I was a very type A student. And I think I, think I got this little exit avenue to go down a creative path was because maybe my personality had kind of checked all the Asian boxes. <laughs> um, not to say that is the only route, but when I, my first dream was to be a backup dancer for Britney Spears. And that did not go over well with my parents at all. <laughs> They're like, couldn't you be someone else who like wore more clothes or something? Um, but beyond that, it was just the idea of like, you can't make money as a dancer or as an artist, your body's going to fall apart. How are you going to, get food on your table, you know? So I think it was because I stuck to it so much and it was something I loved 
also have to give them um, credit for the fact that they allowed me to have something creative to fuel the rest of my academics. Um, when I went to college, I snuck in a dance minor of the African diaspora. And um, it was really hard for me to tell my mom that on top of my major, I added in a minor and it was dance. And um, I think over the years, because there was so much back and forth about me constantly wanting to do something creative that when I did eventually transition into acting, after I gave up a career and actually a private life coaching practice, that they were like, wow, she's really not giving this up. And she's old now. <laughs> so um, we might as well let her pursue this journey. So I just want to reiterate that, that yes, my parents were supportive of the creative route, but it was not easy. And it took a lot of back and forth and a lot of fighting and slamming doors when I was a teenager. But um, I'm glad that they have been open to it. And sometimes things just take a little bit of time. Uh, and everyone's journey is a little different depending on their culture and who their parents are. But I just hope that if anyone's listening who is on an artistic journey, that it's beneficial for you, whether you do it as a job or something that just lights you up on the side. I just hope they hear that. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Um, I do want to um, iterate that, um, you know, uh, for me growing up, um, it was always this balance of how much do I, you know, respect and how much energy and time do I put in, in terms of pleasing or quote unquote obligating, you know, for my parents, um, slash culture, um, and how much of that, whatever is left over, um, do I do for myself? And so personally for me, I've always had to struggle, uh, between this and, you know, thankfully, um, you know, uh, and respectfully, you know, my parents, um, have supported me, um, in different ways. Um, and I, you know, in the, but mostly in the way that it allowed me space and time to definitely explore um, and pursue all these different routes and hence, you know, why I get to do, you know, a podcast with all you lovely, beautiful folks. Um, but the next question I would love to ask, especially the parents, um, you know, uh, in, the, in the room is, what would you pass on, you know, something cultural would you pass on and what would you not pass on? Uh, why or why not? You know, I think one thing that I really appreciate about our family and um, the families that I know that are South Asian, Asian in general, I think we're incredibly resourceful, you know, when it comes to so many things. There was a time when my mom, who was a teacher back in India, came to America, you know, worked, went to school to study nursing, <clears throat> graduated as a nurse. Um, had me, had my sister, uh, but was making our clothes for church. Uh, she would make our dresses for us. She made um, all of our, you know, all of our food was fresh and uh, freshly prepared at home. But she was incredibly resourceful with the food that she had, with the like materials that she had. And that is something that I am striving for in my home. You know, when I look at you know, the, the, you know, sadly, when I look at my fridge sometimes, and I'm like, Oh, man, I forgot to use this, or I forgot to use that. I'm almost kind of nervous to even like, I would never tell my mom, I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I couldn't, oh, my goodness, I threw this, you know, uh, sad vegetable away. 
And so that's something that I want to continue to um, get better at and bring that to my children because that resort, that incredible like sense of resourcefulness and finding a way to utilize any and everything, I think is so incredibly powerful and can be applied in, you know, so many important um, um, situations. Um, One thing I probably wouldn't pass on to them is um, I think something that ties a lot of Asian cultures together and we touched on it earlier, is just this codependency um, within our families and the struggle that I think each of us has probably felt in our own lives to break away, uh, to start setting some boundaries, to make decisions for ourselves and feeling a little bit uneasy about it because, you know, how would our family feel? How would my parents feel? How, you know, how could I do that? And feeling a little bit of guilt surrounding that um, because of that culture that we grew up in. And that's something that um, I don't want to pass on to my children. I want my children to know that, yes, they come from a loving community, a supportive family, parents who love them, but they are individuals and that they can create, um, you know, whatever it is that they want. That's, that's my goal is to empower them to share all of our culture, but also Um, you know, by doing that, also not forgetting that they are an individual, that they're a person on their own, and they get to choose, they get to decide. And, um, you know, I'm I'm there to support them, you know, no matter what that is. CJ? So everything that Jasmine said, and more, right? Um, Just, I would like to, my parents instilled in me the importance of of, of family, um, and just always being there for each other, and that family comes first. Uh, I think that's 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 so important that sometimes I do see in the American culture there is such a breakdown of the American family, and um, even though we, you know, I think a lot of ethnic communities, you know, they are uh, they believe in that. Like a, that's that's a wonderful thing. Like there to <laughs> to breach like a, a hard topic. Like I just think that the divorce rates. Uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, are just a lot lower. Um, in, in the Asian culture. And I think it's because we have instilled that you, you kind of fight for family, you fight for to keep your marriage and your family together. Um, and I think that's, that's something that should be commended uh, uh, in the Asian culture um, that I think is lacking in the American culture. So um, what I wouldn't take, so my family, including all my extended family, they struggle, they definitely struggle with saying I love you uh, and being affectionate, the love is there. It, it's, I'm, um, I don't want to ever sound like I'm, I'm unappreciative of my parents. You know, you, you, uh, you understand where they're coming from. You know that they want the best for you. You know, we are immigrants. I'm an immigrant and you, you come here to survive and you do what it takes. Um, and your parents have their, your best interest at heart that uh, this is the path to do it. Uh, but definitely, verbalizing it is, is, is a struggle. It's almost like uncomfortable. And uh, so funny, I had Easter dinner here and we, I was joking around with my uncle because I guess like I'm an adult now, it's, 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 you can actually have this rapport. And we all were just sitting around the table, the cousins, and we were just making fun of him. Like, go ahead, say, I love you. Say it right now. You know? And he was just like, I can't, I can't do it. You know? And it's so uncomfortable that it's, it's almost too late. You just can't undo it at this point. But um, I remember growing up watching, Full House, and uh, you know, like, so rest in peace, Danny Tanner. It was such a huge loss, uh, but just seeing how there's such a strong communication 
uh, between the parent and the child and how important that is and how that allows the child to express their feelings uh, when they're sad instead of just bearing it, right? Because uh, it's so, it's such an Asian culture to not express um, any feelings of sorrow or failure. You just kind of, you know, you bury it and then you move on, right? But um, I think it's it's cathartic to um, be able to express it, especially to the people that you love. Uh, this is a little bit more challenging of a topic, um, but in light of uh, mental health awareness and um, our global pandemic, um, we've definitely seen, um, and this has happened in different points in our, uh, you know, uh, cultural timeline, but, um, you know, Asian hate, um, Asian mental health, um, the, the discrimination uh, against um, our, you know, group um, per se. As of uh, 2019, um, there are currently uh, 22.9 million uh, representing the AAPI um, uh, group. Uh, we make up about 7%, uh, according to the Pew uh, Research Center. And I just wanted to share some uh, statistics. Um, and this is according to uh, uh, stopaapihate.org. Uh, and they've had a national report from March 19th to 2020 to December 31st, 2021, a total of 10,905 uh, hate incidents um, against Asian American and Pacific Islander persons were reported. Um, of that, um, 4,632 uh, occurred in 2020 and 6,273 occurred in 2021. And some of uh, the national trends, I won't go through all of them, uh, verbal harassment um, represented 63%, uh, was the biggest uh, shared of total incidents and physical assault, 16.2 um, comprised of the second uh, largest category. So of this, um, you know, obviously, uh, well, not obvious, you know, I would like to kind of, you know, maybe... Uh, just kind of open up to the floor, you know, where do you think it comes from? Obviously, the elephant in the room is a coronavirus. But do you think that there was already something brewing, you know, underneath, you know, what has your experiences um, that you observe, or, you know, some of us, um, uh, you know, have patients and clients that might have shared uh, uh, their stories, you know, uh, with you. But, you know, where, where has this been uh, this underlying, um, I guess, quote unquote, hatred, hatred and anger, you know, kind of stems from. And um, how do you feel, um, you know, what needs to be done moving forward to kind of, you know, meld us and integrate us more into the tapestry um, of uh, uh, American life um, or in a certain Western civilization? I open it up to the floor. I feel like I'm in the UN. <laughs> Gina? Oh, such a heavy topic. Um, I feel like there was always a lid on it, even though people felt a certain way about different people. And one of the reasons why I think Asian hate has exploded in the past couple of years is because we did have a president who used certain words and rhetoric that made it okay to release that lid and share that in public spaces to people's faces, which led to assault and, and murder on the streets. And I think that to me, that's probably one, one of the biggest differences, but I know that the stats you mentioned, Colin, are incorrect. 
because my family has been assaulted on multiple occasions and not reported it. So I'm sure there's a lot more numbers than the ones that have been reported. Um, And I think making the Asian American experience more known and heard and for my particular purpose to be seen on screen helps other people realize that we're just like them. Like you see in the, uh, in people magazine, celebrities are just like us because, you know, uh, America is a melting pot and everyone of different cultures are here. It's just some people aren't quite used to it yet. So I think, um, rhetoric and visibility made a huge difference. Rashmi. I, I can't quite add it any more eloquently than Gina just did, but I just wanted to say I wholeheartedly agree. I, uh, my husband is white and he, this is sort of what he's been saying is, look, I don't think that discrimination that, you know, the, this sense of white supremacy was ever gone. I think there was a lid on it. Um, which is what's really scary about this. And um, like you said, Gina, I mean, we had a president who used certain um, tones and certain words that made it okay. And I think that definitely accelerated a, a lot of the a lot of what we see, and certainly with coronavirus. Um, but I think just understanding that people um, don't understand and having some level of empathy and compassion for that to a certain degree. And also understanding that we all have way more things in common than we do differently from each other, where we're all way more alike than we are different from each other. And in fact, we're, you know, just, we come from the same fabric. I mean, all all sentient beings do. And having and extending that empathy and holding space for some of that while also drawing some clear boundaries, I think is important. Jasmine, uh, you raise your hand. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I think it's another kind of uncomfortable piece of this. I think it's important to call out, you know, South Asians um, in this and contributing to this because, uh, you know, when it comes to Asian hate, I think that there's been certain images of East Asians that are on the screen. That's what we're seeing. And I think part of what has contributed to it is this lack of unity within the Asian culture, right, in general. You know, I, I want to see more South Asians speaking up about this. I want to see more people who look like me calling attention to this. Um, and I think sometimes within the Asian community, we do, you know, divide ourselves as South Asian, East Asian, which is great. We're, you know, love our own cultures. But somehow that also removes us um, or separates us maybe too far when it comes to standing up for others um, who are also within the Asian umbrella. And I think we need to be better allies. We need to be better. Um, we need to stick our necks out more for our Asian brothers and sisters. And I think that's a contributing factor. I think I, I, I do. And I, and I want to be better at it. And, and I would just encourage all of my, you know, brown brothers and sisters to, you know, stand up and to call it out and to name it um, and to share and to support, you know, everyone within the Asian community. Yeah, I think, um, you know, personally reflecting on this, I think, uh, 
you know, a lot of times um, we're just not speaking up enough. Um, I think having conversations like this, um, you know, both lighthearted and also, you know, um, you know, having, you know, uncomfortable conversations um, is very, very important. And I, uh, I hear this a lot from, you know, my friends and other colleagues where, it's just so taboo, you know, mental health, um, talking about depression and anxiety, um, just the angst that you feel is just not even a question that you bring on the table or, you know, uh, individually, you know, voice. Um, and in a way, it's almost like putting a lid on ourselves, you know what I'm saying, and not being able to um, just let off, you know, let out some steam. Um and I think it's super important to continue to have these, you know, conversations as small as, you know, an intimate gathering like this to the dinner table to hopefully more and more town halls, for example, to, you know, more, um, you know, discussions that you can see on, on screen, um, you know, in uh, talk shows to other different types of public discourses. Um, but I think it's, I, I think there's a lot more that we can do uh, to kind of step up, um, you know, in terms of the conversation. Um, I think conversation is great. Um, what other ways would you guys feel uh, would help better, advance um, the anti, you know, Asian, you know, hate and uh, slash violence, would you say? Go ahead, Rex. Oh, so I think, I think what we're doing uh, in our own respective careers is actually a big way for us to combat uh, the stereotypes that are set against us. I think um, a lot of the Asian hate, uh, hate against you know people of color. I mean, it, I, ultimately, I think it all stems from ignorance, and I, I do agree with with Rashmi in that like we have to have a space to understand that like sometimes people are on that wavelength, and it's going to take some time for them to sort of elevate elevate their thinking. But uh, from from our standpoint, if you can if you can you know like in the mind. Right, you can equalize yourself with with anyone. So if you can sort of show them that, you know, knowledge wise or even just just behavior wise, you're you can you can match them at their level, if not be better. They can't, you know, they can try to put you down, but you know that you can sort of stand up to that. Um, obviously, I think it helps that one of the stereotypes is that we all know martial arts. And that we're good at defending ourselves, you know. So, like, part of that can be funny, but I think too, like, that's a stereotype that I don't mind having because, in a way, it sort of helps protect us from some level of violence, you know. Um, but at, at another point, like, it can sort of, you know, people want to challenge that, so they can sort of try to be like, oh, maybe you're good at kung fu. Let's let's fight, right? <laughs> um, but. At the end of the day, like, you know, just us being decent people and showing that, you know, we can show kindness and empathy towards other types of people can help, can help them accept us a little bit more. Definitely. Uh, Jasmine and then uh, CJ. I was just going to say also really quickly, it, it took me a long time um, you know, and it is because of my upbringing. I wasn't, um, you know, raised to constantly complain or to, you know, call out every little, 
um, you know, indiscretion, you know, I was taught to just kind of keep the peace and, you know, to ignore and to, you know, just keep things moving and and don't confront. That's, that's really the messaging I got non-verbally and verbally, you know, don't, don't, um, you know, um, rock the boat. And I think what we need to do is to rock the boat in every situation, you know, um, you know, I know there was a comment earlier about how, you know, you know, you don't necessarily have to take offense to every single comment, um, and, and which is true. But I also think that those are opportunities. It doesn't have to be aggressive, but those are opportunities for you to say, um, so what was funny about that? Right? I, that was something that was, that's something that I recently learned, because if, if it's, because for me, it's really uncomfortable. Uh, at times, if I'm in a situation, or it was, it used to be, for me to say anything, and I would just almost, you know, be quiet about it, and then keep myself later. And I realized that that's not helping anybody. And so I've learned that just asking a simple question as, you know, if you, what, what was, what did you mean by that? Why was that so funny? And asking that person to clarify if you're confronted with a joke or something uncomfortable that's said in your presence, that's one way and an opportunity for you to say, well, you know, that, or for that person to realize, okay, well, maybe I didn't mean to say that, or I shouldn't have said that. Um, and I, but I do think that that upbringing um, almost kind of contributes to us keeping quiet uh, when things happen. And we have to individually um, break out of that and do the work for us to become comfortable calling out those situations um, in the ways that you feel comfortable doing, but you shouldn't ignore comments anymore. CJ, and then uh, Rashmi. Uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, yes. So um, I agree with everything. Um, I, I think that the Asian culture is often stereotyped to be very like passive. And it, it actually comes from the fact that um, the culture kind of like sees like confrontation as like you're making a scene and it's, it's, it's mm. considered like unsophisticated. Uh, and so because of that, we rarely ever speak up, speak up uh, whenever there's something that we may disagree with. We're just like, you know, let live and let live uh, kind of attitude. But in America to make it, you almost have to like demand respect. I mean, that's, that's just the truth of it. Um, all the, the entrepreneurs, like you need to kind of command the room. And, um, and I think by changing that attitude, uh, it's going to let, let people recognize that we are not just pushovers. Um, cause that's what people think that we're just kind of like, uh, you know, a little bit on the dorky nerdy side. Right. And, um, and what I've learned is, is, is that there are some people who, I mean, I've, I've lived in like the middle part of, of America. And there are people who've never really seen an Asian person. So they're going to go by what they see on TV. But when they meet you, you are almost like representing and speaking for what they don't really know. And by you interacting with them in a way that they're like, okay, I'm relating to you. I, I, I view you as, as you a person that deserves respect. You are already that moment changing the stereotype. And, and it's, it's, it's all comes down to you. Command the room. <laughs> love it Rashmi so good oh my god just holy god you're so good I agree I think it does have to do with some amount of passivity but also there's this sense of like 
complete and utter respect for all human beings at all costs in a certain way, right? Like um, treating others as if they are divine. I mean, they are, of course, divine, but um, but that can appear to be passive and actually it is passive. And so just like, you know, you guys were saying, command the room. And so I have a, a German last name. It can be, you know, some people can confuse it for Indian, but my husband's, you know, ancestry is from Germany. And so early on before the interwebs, I'm 47. So uh, you know, when I first was in attending, people would schedule an appointment with me thinking they would they were going to see a German man. And it was a very interesting set of circumstances then. Um, but, you know, I learned very quickly. And I, I mean, there was even a time, I mean, I was really sassy when I was younger. I'm way less so now, but although Jason might disagree, but... <laughs> Um, but you know, as far as standing up for what I believe in, I mean, I remember at one point to, you know, in a respectful way saying, you know, I think, sir, you should get used to seeing people who look like me because when I graduated from medical school, which was 2000, there were 52% of us that, that were women and secondarily a great deal of us were Asian. And so, you know, you're probably more likely to get an Asian woman as a physician next time than, you know, an old white German man. And I'm sorry that, you know, comes as a shock to you. And I said it very respectfully and walked out of the room and treated him <laughs> extremely well. But there is a certain level of, okay, I am the physician now, right? And so, and I can there's a, there's a there's a power differential whether you like it or not um but but i think it is just commanding the room i think standing up for ourselves um and knowing that people don't necessarily have to understand but you can still keep it very very respectful so i just have a funny note before i move on to the last two questions is uh when i was training and uh um uh, after medical school, um, you know, us medical residents, we uh, go by our first name. And so my name is Irish and Celtic in origin. And so I would call down and this was the OBGYN floor. And I was a, had a patient that was, you know, in labor, um, you know, labor and delivery. And so I, I talked to the nurse and, you know, I say like, hi, my name is Colin. She woke me up at like 2 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And she'll say, oh, Miss Smith is, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I think you should come down and check on this. And so I make my way down. And then, you know, um, I go to the uh, nurse uh, station and uh, the nurse that called me, um, you know, I addressed her. I was like, nurse, uh, so what's going on with uh, Miss Smith? And she was like, oh, you know, I was uh, expecting like a six foot four Irish, you know, red hair with freckles. <laughs> And I was like, well, I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> so that's my, that's my, <laughs> that's my story with that. Um, guys, last two questions. We're going on a roll. Um, and uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, and, uh, and I, I, I love this question. And over the past, like, uh, at least three to four years, there's been an explosion with um, on-screen presence. Um, and I know Gina lo would love this question. Um, but with seeing more Asian representation um, in Hollywood right now over the last few years, do you see this as um, a good thing? Uh, why or why not, or not a good thing, why or why not. And, uh, you know, the story I share growing up um, is that uh, there was no one that I could, you know, res you know uh, resonate with because there was no one on screen. Um, and the people that I could resonate on screen um, that I could look up to um, outside of my circle of friends, um, you know, was 
pretty much people that came from overseas, you know, when, you know, Jackie Chan and, you know, Jet Li, you know, uh, made their way um, into the movie industry, but, you know, they were crossovers, right? Um, so there wasn't any, uh, I guess, Asian American uh, representation. So having seen, you know, uh, an explosion, you know, is this a good thing? Why or why not? And uh, yeah, I'll leave it. Uh, um, I'll start with you, Gina. <laughs> To hear what everyone else has to say about this but yeah it's I think it's amazing because I grew up loving film but also realizing that it made a huge difference on how I valued myself like the white girl gets the romantic story the white girl gets to be the entrepreneur she gets to be the superhero and so it created this this huge contrast between what I could be um, and now we have Always Be My Maybe, like Asian rom-com, and um, to all the boys I've loved before, to have a TV show with an Asian female lead. It makes a huge difference on the, the kids that watch the show and anyone who is a person of color who can see themselves in different stories, in different positions, different careers. Um, and when I started out, you have no idea, every single person who found out I was an actress was like, wow, you look just like Lucy Liu. You could do all the roles that Lucy Liu does. And she was the only Asian actress in America who spoke English on film. And then over the years, it's like, oh, you're like a mix between Lucy Liu and Sandra Oh. And I'm like, well, that's because those are the only two. So now there's Lucy Liu and Sandra Oh and Constance Wu uh, to choose from out of the mix. So I'm really excited that there's a lot more um, Asian actor and actresses names that people can use. But sometimes I think about that. It's like if I went up to every single white person and said, you're just like Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> and that's just not the case for um, people of color in film. So I think it makes a huge difference. And for me personally, it really, film starts with writing, the story that you create. A lot of Asian stories still have a good amount of white people in the writer's room, which I think becomes an issue in the story. And whoever directs it changes the story, whoever edits it edits the film or TV show also changes the story. So part of the purpose of my production company is hoping to bring on more people of color who are part of the creative process that you don't only see on screen because some of the biggest impact happens in pre-production and post-production. So um, I'm excited. There's a couple Asian writers groups that are happening. CAPE is a wonderful organization. So is Gold House. So I can't wait to see us just trickle in and take over the film space and change our own imagery through our own words. Oh my God, Gina, I love it. Um, if you ever need someone on production, I have zero experience, but lots of creativity <laughs> that's unchanneled. CJ, you got, this is, yeah, this is your totally. way in. This is your way in. <laughs> CJ, tell tell Gina, Gina, you gotta have to you have to hear her story about how much she wants to break into the business per se. So <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Well, I mean, it's it's always been like um, even on my my dental school interview, they're like, if there was something else you would want to do, what else would you do? I'd be like, I was like, I would be on Broadway, and they would be like, okay, that's a really odd answer. But do you sing and dance um, and do theater? I, I, I definitely enjoy it for sure. And, I, and, and every time I meet someone who's in the, uh, the arts, uh, I, just, I just feel like, and I did take some acting in college and um, it was nice because certain, like there's a, 
there's certain eccentricity to like actors and actresses because they wear their emotions on their, their their sleeve. And I'm just like, oh God, I belong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. We totally have to connect. I'd love to share I more with it. you and and reel you into our space. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm having a midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah, come to LA. <laughs> I've been telling her to come to LA. So, um, Rex, uh, what are, what are your viewpoints? Uh, you know, with the aunts. So my my significant other is um, is Caucasian, and you know, with the onset of Crazy Rich Asians. Um, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, like just to have, you know, a male, you know, strong male Asian leads aside from Colin Zhu. Check will be in the mail. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> until I get on screen. Um, no, just, just to see them on screen, it just, you know, it, it's nice to see that diversity. It's nice to see that representation and, and, you know, um, and I understand how important that is, you know, just not in an acting realm, but like, you know, I, I've seen uh, young kids in the office and they'll go, Hey mom, he looks like me. You know what I mean? And I'm like, dude, if you want to become a doctor, you can. So, you know, just, just to give them another option and to have them understand that like, if they, if they want to do something, they can do it. Um, you know, is is important so representation does matter and it's nice to see a little bit more of that on screen because then you know it 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 not only brings us pride but it it also sort of uh normalizes having us you know in these communities and 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 and, you know uh and it, it allows other people to understand where we come from too and shows that we're just like them you know and I think that will help uh, decrease some of this um, animosity that, you, that we're starting to see against uh, you know, us and, and people of color. Yeah. And and for me, like, I see this, you know, uh, represented more uh, in music. Um, I see a lot of, you know, more DJs, uh, more R&B singers. Um, to novelists, the last time I stepped foot in a Barnes and Noble is I, I there were so many, you know, um, you know, Asian writers, um, you know, novelists. It was just really nice to see. Uh, if only I could, you know, speed read. I was like, ah, just, just so much that I want to read. It's just, it, it just felt, you know, really, really good. Um, so last question. Uh, I know uh, a lot of us uh, had to go, but last question is. If you could take a DeLorean, and for those that are too young to know what a DeLorean is, just look up Back to the Future. Um, if you can take a DeLorean, you can go back in time to your 10-year-old self. What would you say to him or her knowing what you have um, you know, experienced so far? And you could share um, you know, from your individual experience. You can share from a, you know, uh, a cultural perspective. Um, what would you say to your 10-year-old self? Um, CJ, I'll go with you first. To my 10-year-old self, I would probably tell them that you can be anything you want to be. You don't have to be a doctor. There's plenty of Asian doctors already. Um, and uh, I would tell them that their worth is not reflected upon, like, what college they go to, what the career they choose, you know, um, and and that their worth is, you know, them. They're, they are That they are kind and that they are you know, contributing member of society. Awesome. Gina. 
I, I think I would say this to myself like 10 seconds ago as well as just like, you got this, stop worrying. <laughs> my 10 year old self and my self, you know, every, every second that passes, I tell my past self that. Um, another piece that's kind of interesting is I, I was very optimistic and joyful. And a big part of that people saw as being naive or like ill-prepared for life. Um, and especially learning about positive psychology, tapping into your joy is healthy and it's very powerful. And um, I would tell myself to, to lean into that more, that there doesn't need to be any shame or any sense of like holding back of enjoying the things that you enjoy. Rex? I would tell myself to uh, invest in Amazon uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that I, I, I wouldn't have to pay off medical school loans. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, like uh, the experiences that you have really shapes who you are. So I don't know if I would change anything in particular. Um, even those mistakes you can grow and you can learn from. But I think I would give my 10-year-old self some reassurance that everything is going to be okay. And that as long as you stay true to yourself, you're going to end up all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Personally, for me, I would probably tell uh, my 10 year old self, you know, start uh, loving yourself a lot earlier uh, instead of waiting a couple of decades later to start the process. Um, There is no limit uh, or ceiling of how much self-care you can give towards yourself. And um, yeah, that and, you know, just trusting, trusting that life happens for you and not to you. Um, And every life experience that you go through is part of the puzzle of the jigsaw of how life beautiful, how life, uh, how beautiful life is. Um, you know, you're going to meet a lot of great people. Um, you're going to love a lot of people and, uh, yeah, just trust that, you know, life is happening for you. So, um, guys, I want to thank you, um, so much, uh, for spending the time out, um, you know, from your day, um, from whatever you're doing, um, and joining us for the special episode. Um, thank you to, uh, Rashmi, Jasmal, and, uh, Jason who had, uh, previously, uh, had to go. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, do you guys have any closing remarks or pe- or things that you want to share before we close out? Colin, I just want to share that you're awesome. It's great that you've curated this and brought all of us together and for the people who hear it so that they know that they're not alone as another Asian American or Asian person living in America. So thank you for bringing us together and organizing this. You're very welcome. Yes. Thank you, Colin. I mean, you know, to, to do what you do uh, and the, the purpose for doing all of this is really important. So it's nice that someone brave enough like you is, is doing that to give us a way to share our experiences. Cause you know, sometimes it just takes one brave person to really get that ball rolling, you know? Appreciate that. I also thank you, Colin. Um, I've always been a big believer in having hard conversations. I think, uh, mm-hmm. hard conversations always yields results. And, uh, Thank you for bringing it to light, all these uh, the issues that the Asian Americans experience. 
Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, So, guys, thank you so much for joining us for that special episode. Um, You know, this is a great topic. And thank you for joining us for this uh, session for Growing Up Asian. And um, we will share uh, um, in the show notes when this airs uh, different links uh, to research, to study, um, you know, in terms of Asian hate, in terms of um, anti-Asian hate and violence, learning about um, more about the Asian uh, diaspora. Um, and uh, if you or you know someone else that's suffering from mental health um, you know, issues and concerns, uh, we also have a resource uh, for that and specifically more um, in the um, Asian uh, realm as well. Um, so thank you so much for joining us and uh, we will see you on the next episode. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like this, please like, follow, and subscribe. And please follow us for the latest updates for this season, season five. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. And thank you so much again. And we will see you on the next one.